Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm so glad to see all of you back, especially after uh, me delivering a very gut-wrenching sermon last week about sin. Man, I cannot even begin to just express how many butterflies were in my guts, you know, or even eagles flying in my stomach as I was preparing that sermon. And um, just to be clear, every temptation, sin, uh, as examples that I, I shared with you last week, were all things that I had to confront, uh, things that I had to uh, confess to God. And so, yeah, as we come as a church, that's the sort of thing we got to learn to do, to confess our sins, even though it's hard, uh, and to spur each other on and encourage each other to come before Jesus to receive full forgiveness. Yeah, so if you're here with us for the first time and uh, you're exploring EEC or just Christianity in general, uh, welcome. So glad to be able to worship with you this morning. Uh, last year, uh, for those of us who have been here long enough, we had our retreat in October. Do you guys remember? And I remember one of the ice-breaking games we played, uh, led by Ryan... I think upstairs, oh yeah, and, and also Gavin, who, who I think it's somewhere in the back. <laughs> and um, one of the questions, um, well, well, first of all, one, one of the games we played, it's called Q&A Bingo. So you go around, you ask questions, and you find out the answers from people and see if their answers match with yours so that you can like do a bingo, you know? Um, one of the questions that was asked, I remember, was, which is your favorite book of the Bible? Do you guys remember that? Um, it was hard. Maybe I was taking it too seriously. But at the end, I wrote Gospel of John, and I started going around asking people what their favorite book of the Bible is. Um, and I went around and realized that nobody matched my answer. Nobody's favorite book was the, was the Gospel of John. But what I also found out was that a lot of people actually had the same answer. Can you guess what that is? Well, yeah, the Psalms. I mean, <laughs> that probably gave it away. But yes, it's the Psalms. Is your favorite book of the Bible the Psalm? Well, I love the Psalms too. Um, but now I really want to find out if our little social experiment that we did in our church actually reflects global statistics. So I went online and realized that it does. So in 2014, the Overview Bible Project um, looked into the usage record of the online platform Bible Gateway and found that the Psalms came on top in terms of popularity. And as I looked further into the data, uh, I found that not only the Psalms were the most popular, was the most popular book in the Bible, but there was one Psalm in particular that was the most popular that everyone would always search for. Can you guess what that is? Oh, it's got, we've got different answers. That's, that's pretty interesting. Well, it was Psalm, what's that? It's not this one. <laughs> 23. Yeah, I heard a lot of threes. Yes, it was Psalm 23. Well, why don't we read it out together? It's a it's tiny, tiny text, but maybe I'll read it out for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. What a wonderful psalm. No wonder people like it. It's one that soothes and comforts the heart. It's like a love song that you want to repeat over and over again. And most people think of this psalm when they say they love the book of Psalms. Well, since February, we started a sermon series in prayer. Remember that? And once a month on each communion Sunday, we will study from the Bible and learn what God teaches about prayer. Looking at how, as followers of Jesus, we can have a healthy and thriving prayer life as individuals and as a church. Now, there are 150 Psalms in total in the Bible, and they are a collection of prayers, hymns, and poetry. They contain a wide range of emotions and experiences that can really be helpful for us in guiding and shaping our own prayers and expression of faith. And so you can expect that coming uh, back every month uh, on the first Sunday that we would likely be looking into the Psalms um, as this, into this rich resource for personal and communal prayer. But today, today, as you guys have already seen on the slide, we're not looking at Psalm 23, which is the most popular psalm, but we are going to study the one right before it, Psalm 22. So let's, let's turn to Psalm 22 together. At the top of the psalm, we will read, To the director of music, to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. There immediately we can see that similar to Psalm 23, this is also a psalm attributed to David. Who's David? Well, he was the most celebrated king of Israel's history and probably known, uh, sorry, popularly known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. The name David itself actually means beloved, which means someone who is loved. But unlike Psalm 23, this is not a psalm of thanksgiving, but a lament psalm. Do you guys remember what a lament psalm is? Now, if you're, you can backtrack your memory. Two months ago, John led us into a study of Psalm 88. Uh, I recall him saying, that even though the number of this psalm sounds quite favorable, 88, and lucky, in fact, it's probably the most depressing, saddest, the most disappointing psalm in the whole of Bible. 
Even though all lament psalms contain expressions of grief and sorrow, most of these psalms end with a note of praise, end with a note of recognition that God will ultimately bring joy back into life. But Psalm 88 does not do that. Instead, it ends with these verses. I'll read from 15 to 18. It says, For my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken me from me, friends and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. What a dark, dark ending to a psalm. No praise, no thanksgiving at the end, just a pure expression of negative emotions, even towards the end of the psalm. And sometimes, frankly, aren't we just in those moments in our lives? There doesn't seem to be a clear answer, no clear way out of all these negativity. We're left in situations where we are confused, in situations where we are disappointed, and in situations where we are simply waiting for something to happen, for God to do something. Nevertheless, this psalm is a prayer, a prayer to God, meaning the psalmist was acknowledging God's presence and actively expressing these emotions to him. And so if you remember, John, remind us that healthy prayer is when we are honest and open to God. Healthy prayer is when we are honest and open to God, even when it's full of negativity. Remember this quote? This quote from John Coe says, Prayer is not a place to be good. It is a place to be honest Prayer is not a place to perform. It is a place to be present. And prayer is not a place to be right. It is a place to be known. Prayer is not a place to prove your worth. It is a place to receive worth and offer yourself in truth. Well, the lament Psalms teaches us as followers of God, it is all right to express the genuine emotions of the moment to God in our prayers. Even if it meant saying, Lord, you are God and I am mad. I am angry and I am disappointed. Prayer is not a place to be good. It is a place to be honest. All right, today we will be reading and studying from another lament psalm so that we're all ready. It contains expressions of grief and sorrow as well as a plea for God's help in the midst of difficult circumstance. And Psalm, has, uh, psalm 22 has 31 verses, so I want us to help each other by speaking, uh, uh, by reading, and also helping each other listen to this scripture. So I'm going to divide us into three groups 
it's not going to be quite even, but um, people with, uh, groups with less people probably just have to speak a little louder. Um, can I have, oh, maybe here, this group, and also the back to be group one, to read from verses 1 to 11. Uh, here, second group, to read from verses 12 to 21. And then the rest of you here to read from 22 to 31. Okay? So first group, begin. Group one, please continue. Thank you. Group two, please. Group two, please continue. Thank you. And finally, group three. Finally, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. 
Thank you for reading the scriptures out loud for each other. Let us pray. Lord, we want to submit to you as a church, and we want to thank you for leaving behind these words for us. These words that were left behind from almost 3,000 years ago. May your spirit help us to understand these words. And by walking in you, Lord, we may be able to live by these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, about four weeks ago, on the night of Good Friday, uh, some of you had come back to uh, worship with us in a Good Friday service. We watched together a dramatic reenactment of Jesus' passion scene according to the Gospel of Matthew. And there we heard, there we heard the words being said, these words, Eli, Eli, Lama. Sabachthani. It is written in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And after three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How are we doing? You guys still with me? Well, while Jesus was on the cross and darkness came over the land, he recited in Aramaic, one of the common languages at the time, with a loud voice, the first part, sorry, the first line of verse 1 of Psalm 22. And it translates to, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, first of all, what, what does forsake mean? Well, forsake means to turn away from or withdraw from. So when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was asking why, God, have you turned away from me? Why have you withdrawn from me? Well, think about it. Why would God do that to his own son? As it is something that we would not do for our own children. It is odd that the source of all love would turn away from his own son. Yet, this is exactly what has happened this moment. Well, while I was in LA in retreat a couple of weeks ago, um, I, was, I was lodging in a place that is almost 6,000 feet high, and, um, which is approximately 1,800 meters above sea level. To give you some context, the highest point in Hong Kong, Tai Mo San, is only about 900 meters high. And so, at times, I was there, and I was not sure whether I, I was just jet-lagged or whether I was experiencing high-altitude sickness. But, but who am I kidding? I'm not very fit to, to begin with. Anyway, even though I felt really out of place half the time, there was this hiking trail that I really wanted to go uh, at the back of the retreat center that goes even higher than the 6,000 feet I was already at. 
Um, because I really wanted to experience, uh, especially when it's called, the destination is called Inspiration Point. So it's quite intriguing. I, I want to get there. And to be honest, it's been 15 years since I've been back in LA. So who knows how many more years until I get the chance to even try this out. So I went, and eventually I reached a point in the trail where it was just too steep uh, for you to walk by, by foot. So uh, what they did was they tied a thick rope uh, on a tree, and they expect you to just pull yourself up. And <laughs> There I was, thinking that it's, it's going to be a, you know, a, a light stroll. <laughs> I had a mug of hot tea in one hand, and, and another hand with a thick rope, and I was pulling myself up. Um, and I was probably going too fast, because I was anticipating that I could catch the sunrise. Um, it looks a little bit bright, which is a good job of the iPhone, but it's actually pretty dark when I was up there. Um, and halfway up the slope, my heart was pounding so heavily, I felt totally winded. And I was really in, in between, like, should I go up or go down? And eventually I decided to, to go to a point in the middle of the slope where there was a big tree, and I sat down. And I leaned against that tree trunk, and I pointed my legs up the slope so that I can have the oxygen blood go to my brain. Because <laughs> I, was, I was getting light, lightheaded. So it was a, it was a very precarious position. Um, I imagine myself now, I, I find it pretty funny. I still had my mug in, of hot tea in my hand, <laughs> and, which I was sipping uh, from profusely at that point. And if I had lost consciousness at that point, I would have likely just rolled down the hill. Have you ever felt winded? Do you know what that feels like? You, when you push your body, sometimes not very hard, but you just push it, and you, know, you get to a point when you feel like you're about to lose consciousness. You feel like you, know, you, you want to like, throw up. That's, that's how you feel when you feel winded. Well, I wonder if that was the sort of moment that Jesus was at, gasping for air while being hung on the cross. He knew his soul was about to depart from his body, and so he yelled out the first line of Psalm 22. It was a line that aptly expressed the dire situation that he was in. Not only was he physically nailed on the cross, suffering great pain and anticipating death, but because Jesus was now carrying your sin, my sin, the sin of this world, his Holy Father in heaven has turned away, has turned away. And at that moment, there was nothing Jesus should or could do to further accomplish God's plan except to wait and die. Think about that for a moment. And think about this. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt that you've done everything that you could do or have planned. And yet all that you could at that point was just wait. Was just wait. Man, it, it must be frustrating at times when you're just waiting for the next thing to happen, for something to happen, for God to do something. 
And for Jesus, it was his submission to God until death that ultimately inaugurated new life and restoration for us and for the world. Let's say if Jesus had not submitted, let's say he had not submitted to God's plan and waited for his death, but instead said, I'm out. I'm out. I don't like this part when I die. I just want to come down. I don't trust God to bring me back to life. Well, then our sins would not be forgiven and we would still be living under God's wrath and anger. But proven to be the sinless Son of God, Lamb of God, Jesus endured his suffering and willingly died on the cross for you and me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, as I think Jesus is calling out his recitation of that one line from Psalm 22, it really is more than just an expression of honesty that God was turning away from sin that he was carrying, but it also revealed his total determination to submit to God the Father until the very end. Jesus was no longer called to perform any miracles at that point or teach his disciples anything. He just needed to be present at the moment that he was called and let God's salvation plan be completed. Prayer is not a place to be good. It is a place to be honest. And prayer is not a place to perform. It is a place to be present. Well, continuing from my story of my rather lame hike, <laughs> well, I was totally winded on a slope, and I was sitting in a very precarious position with my legs up. And I knew at that point that there was nothing I could do. There was absolutely nothing I could do except wait. I just had to wait for, for the blood in my body and the oxygen that it brings to flow back into my brain, to just put me back into normalcy again. Any extra movement at that point was probably, you know, useless and complicate the whole process. And as I wait, I remember praying that, that I would just receive from God a peace of mind. Because it was, it was a scary moment, right, nonetheless. And that whatever the Lord decides needs to happen, I would be fine with it. And I remember how I had been winded before, so I'm trying to recall the times that the many times that I've been winded before, and in the past that I just had to wait until I get better again. Well, thank God, eventually I did, um, and I was strong enough to get up. My head was clear, but I, at that point I could feel my hands, especially my fingers and my feet, starting to get numb. Now that's that's the point when you know that the the, the you're really lacking blood and, and oxygen. But that's a good sign because I can feel something. It means that I'm gaining my consciousness back. And as I you know, got up, I was able to complete my, my hike and arrive at the, at the inspiration point, so to speak, where I was able to catch a bit of, the last bit of the sunrise. Now, while Psalm 22 is a lament psalm, which, again, contains expressions of grief and sorrow, as well as a plea for God's help in the midst of a difficult circumstance, it is also something called a messianic psalm, 
And this is a psalm that contains prophetic references to the suffering and death of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as we were reading, hopefully as we were reading and listening to the psalm, you may have already picked up some very striking similarities between what the psalmist wrote and what the authors of the gospel wrote about Jesus' crucifixion. And when, when you go home and read the psalm again, I hope you will enjoy discovering how the scriptures have been fulfilled. We're not going to go into detail this morning, but some clues to leave behind for you is to look at verses 7, 8, 18, and 31. And I invite you to go back and to read the psalm again and to discover these things. But this morning, we want to just stay with what Jesus cried out on the cross and what it teaches us about prayer. Again, I quote uh, from John Coe, prayer is not a place to perform. It is a place to be present, to be present. Around two years ago, um, I began a prayer practice that I am learning in my seminary, uh, which I included actually in last year's retreat uh, booklet. Uh, It is called the Prayers of Intention the prayers of intention. It only takes about three to five minutes a day in the morning. Um, So what happens is once I wake up and open my eyes every morning, I acknowledge for a minute or less where my soul wants to go. What do I want to do immediately? Where my desires are? Where does my heart lead me? What's bubbling up in my heart? What worries, anxieties, fears, joys, and loves are revealing themselves? Then I pray. I pray, Lord, I am here. I present myself to you. Here I am. Before I do anything else, I first want to be with you. And then for the next minute, I open my soul to God and be reminded of my true identity in Christ. I pray, Lord, at the core of my soul, I am not just a worrier or one who wants to control or be successful this day, at the core, I have been crucified with Christ. Christ is my life. And in Christ, I am fully forgiven, fully accepted in his love. And so whatever I do today, I want to do it with and in you. This is my true identity. And when I fail this Remind me again, Lord. Remind me when I fail, O God, that I am ever your beloved. Then finally, in the next few minutes, I surrender to God everything that's bubbling up uh, from my heart. Perhaps I have a sermon I need to prepare and I'm worrying, or part of the car or the home that needs fixing, or a certain bill that needs paying this week, or a certain assignment that I need to complete. I pray. I pray, Lord, here is what's on my soul. Take them. Just take them away from me. They are yours, Lord. I am yours, and so help me to be with you in these things. Help me abide in you here and all that this day holds. I want to be faithful to you in all that you call me into. 
Again, Lord, I am here. And here are my concerns. Amen. So during the prayers of intention, I become honest with myself and God about where my heart is. I present exactly who I am, all my thoughts and desires to God. I remind myself and be open to God's reminder later in the day in my true identity in Christ. And finally, I present my concerns to God and let go of them, trusting that God will ultimately take care of them. That's it. Three minutes, four minutes. I mean, did I always remember to pray this in the last full two years? No. No. Sometimes I just open my eyes and say, good morning, God. I'm present, like going to school. And then I go about my day. Sometimes I, my worries and anxieties don't bubble up until maybe I brush my teeth. Or maybe they don't bubble up until I have my breakfast. But they will certainly bubble up when I sit in my desk. I'm still training myself. This is a process to be honest and attentive to my thoughts and feelings. And retraining myself to submit them to God. Because I'm trained growing up to not do that. What am I trained to do? I'm trained to tell myself, you can do this. I can do this. But in hindsight, I often really meant that this task is easy. This day is going to be easy. I can tackle this on my own. I don't need God. Isn't that right? When we say we can do this. Well, I need God. I need God every day. I realize that now. I need God every day. And as we saw from the scripture, Jesus needs and yearns for his Father's presence even at his final breath. How about you? How about you? You know, I want to invite Stephanie to just play some music for us as we reflect. Let's just spend some time in reflection and silent prayer. What stood out for you from Psalm 22? What stood out to you the way Jesus prayed it on the cross? allow yourself to present these thoughts or concerns honestly to God today? And what's stopping you from doing that? And ask yourself, ask your soul, are you secure in your true identity in Christ our Lord?
Lord God. We come before you and just want to present ourselves to you. Exactly who we are. We can't change ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. But you can. We just want to submit before you our thoughts and our concerns. And we want to live our days with you and in you. We want to do the tasks that you've called us to with you and in you. We want to accomplish the things you've called us to with you and in you. We want to love the people around us. We want to serve the people around us. We want to achieve things in this life with you and in you. Because apart from you, apart from you, there is nothing good. So if there's a desire in our hearts that we want to pursue, help us to rediscover that alongside with you. Help us to keep our souls open to you. Help us to not perform, but just to be in your presence. Waiting for you. In Jesus' name we pray.